What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance, and for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good late morning and happy Wednesday to you. First Wednesday of December, last month of the year, 2018. Man, this this year is going by pretty fast. We're glad that you have joined with us and listened to us. and um, We're excited. Uh, always something going on. There's always something going on. Uh, hope all you are having a wonderful day so far and that you do have a wonderful day ahead. Um, this it is the Advent season, and so um, we're glad to. I didn't, I didn't, uh, <laughs> didn't do my usual stuff. I'm hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and helping you, empowering you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around you. And as always, you are welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. And um, we invite you to join us on, uh, connect with us on all our social media, on our Facebook page, Zero Network. On Facebook, follow us on Twitter. The show handle is at Zero Radio. On Twitter, um, uh, my personal handle is at uh, Lorenzo T. Neal. So you can follow us there. Shoot us an email at um, PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com. Um, where else? Where else are we on? Wherever else we are on, we are on. <laughs> so we're glad that you joined us. We're glad that you're listening to us. We got a. Um, it's not much that I'm going to talk about, so I probably won't have a full hour long broadcast uh, without me having to ramble uh, about a lot of stuff. But I am going to talk about a few things, and, and I'm going to share uh, reflections and thoughts um, on Advent and um, the. Uh, symbolisms of Advent, symbols of Advent, uh, love, joy, peace, hope, all of that. I'm going to talk about that. And um, I am going to share some insight, uh, my my opinions on some of the current Christian news. I think uh, 
uh, plenty of other people have spoken about, and you know, I'm just I'm late <laughs> late to it. Uh, uh, but we're going to talk as much as we can about some some of these things that are happening. Firstly, um, uh, the biggest news I think that has been happening is, of course, the I the um, uh, Dr. Jamal Bryant leaving Empowerment Temple and the new being the new pastor at uh, New Birth Baptist Church in Atlanta, Lithonia, Georgia. Um, leaving Empowerment Temple, and they do have an interim pastor um, who is a wonderful woman of God, Dr. Carol Lighton uh, Fuller. She's an awesome, awesome woman of God. So I I, I think she's going to do wonderfully uh, there at Empowerment Temple. And um, looking forward to hearing how, uh, if the Lord and the bishops allow her to stay there, how well it goes. But I think she's going to do well. Very well there, um, and um, so so here's is there are two things to, you know, uh, Jamal Dr. Bryant is is an AME. He said in his last interview before uh, his sermon, uh, his final sermon there at Empowerment Temple AME Church, and he was said that he's still going to be AME. And you know, I know a lot of used to be AMEs. <laughs> Who are pastoring in Baptist churches or started their own churches and they seem to be prospering and doing well. You know, I'll be honest with you, AB Church can be somewhat restricting and it ain't for everybody. And uh, uh, sometimes you want to be able to do more and you feel kind of restricted. But God always opens the ministry and provides opportunity for ministry. So it doesn't matter what denomination you're part of. If you're following the Lord and the leading of the Holy Spirit, you can do ministry in anywhere. And the Lord will prosper if he so determines. But um, the the thing I think has caught the attention of persons is um, the idea that, you know, he would leave a church that he started. He leaves a church that he started to go to a a church that has dwindled in membership. And, and they're about the same membership. You know, I, um, the uh, reported membership roster at uh, Empowerment Temple is over about 10,000 and reported membership at New Birth is about the same. Um, and um, so, so I mean, <laughs> it's like in, in our in Amy Church, if you're going to get moved, uh, you have to be uh, moved laterally or upwardly. And it seems like he's made a lateral move just down to the, to the south. In the black metropolis of Atlanta, hot Atlanta, uh, and whatever else they call it, I don't know. Now, what makes it interesting, of course, is the fact that um, there's some who's saying that he did it for money reasons. I'm not going to hate on him. You know, if, if an opportunity like that came up, if if I were afforded that, I probably would probably would do it also. You know, you know, you want to look at the advantage of it, and of course, of course, from a financial perspective, I'm quite sure it would be very lucrative for him. But the church is, from what I've read, is riddled with debt. I think about $31 million in debt. If I may be mistaken, I've I've read various reports on that. Um, And so the chairman of the board stated publicly that um, uh, out of the 138 persons who applied for the position, uh, Dr. Bryant presented the most um, uh, credible way of 
assisting the church to uh, to manage and uh, get out of debt, which is wonderful. You know, it's always good to have a leader who can who is visionary to be able to do that. Um, when I came to my my present charge, we didn't have debt debt per se. We we there was um, we did have a mortgage note because of a new addition that had been done. And we were fortunate, uh, the Lord blessed, that under my leadership, we were able to be strategic in our stewardship and um, strategic in our planning. And we were able to uh, pay off pay off that mortgage early without penalty. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful that we were able to do that. I'm grateful that the members bought into the idea that they could do it, that they didn't have to wait so long. And uh, we were able to do it. But again, you know, Lots of that was um, was based, you know, it was uh, built off leadership prior to me, and uh, I just happened to be in leadership at the time. We developed a more strategic plan to um, a stewardship plan to pay off the debt, and uh, we've acquired more debt, and we've done the same thing, so that we have not been um, burdened by debt. And even now, as we're investigating. Uh, uh, other opportunities to expand uh, um, both at the physical plant and ministry, you know, we realize that we may have to take on some debt, but we're trying to limit that. And uh, along with myself, along with our board, uh, the board, we're, we're, we're being strategic in how we can do that. And it's good to have a leader and a board that can be very visionary and strategic in doing that. So in that sense, I, I hope that he's able to lead the church. Now, the other thing is, there are two other uh, side stories, I guess you can say, that that go along with this. You have uh, the first one being the scandalous history of New Birth, and I won't say New Birth itself, but uh, the leadership of New Birth with uh, the late the late uh, Bishop Eddie Long, um, and you know what happened to him in um, I believe it's 2010, 2011, whatever it. Uh, leading to the church having to make a settlement on his behalf for upwards to $25 million. So that's what it was reported. So it may they may have contributed to the debt that the church is experiencing. I don't know how true that is. Uh, but again, because it was un, undisclosed, we may really not know. But, it, you know, the, the general estimate is that um, he settled – uh, his his case for uh, about twenty five million dollars, and um, you know once that happened, members lost confidence in him morally, as far as you know moral leadership, not as far as pastoral leadership. They 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 still uh, uh, I guess they had a sense of in him as a in pastoral leadership, but as far as moral leadership, a lot of a lot of persons left, and it went from uh, nearly. Uh, I think it was upwards of twenty-eight to thirty thousand members, somewhere in there. I may be mistaken about the figures, but either way, um, the, those persons uh, who fail, who felt that he had corrupted the ministry, that he had uh, grown in, from his initial uh, installation in nineteen eighty-seven or eight. Uh, I believe the eighty-seven or eighty-eight, somewhere in there, when he when he was installed as the pastor, and it was just a you know few hundred members, and to grow that over a period of time, and I I I did 
traveled to New Birth on a number of occasions, and I, I had been to the new sanctuary once. Um, um, once after it was it was um, constructed, but I had gone to the uh, prior to the building of this new sanctuary. I had been shortly after he was consecrated as a bishop in the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship under Bishop Paulus Morton Senior. Uh, I had the uh, fortune of traveling and attending a service at the old church. And boy, I tell you, man, it was fire! It was fire. Uh, I I love being there. As a matter of fact, I. I at one time thought that I would find myself growing in that particular fellowship, and you know those were those were preachers I greatly admired from the early '90s and late '80s, early '90s. Not only were they on uh, Black Entertainer Television (BET), you know I got to see them, and I got to see how their ministries were, their sermons, and you know the vibe, the liveliness of their services. And of course, I wanted to be like him, uh, Morton. Uh, Creflo Dollar, T.D. Jakes, um, 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 who else? So several, several others I can name. You know, who were on television? Keith Butler, uh, many, many black and white uh, preachers, uh, televangelists that I saw. I wanted to imitate, uh, but the Lord led me differently. And uh, I was greatly discouraged when I learned of his impropriety. Um, particularly when it came to, you know, the idea that they were young black men. And I, when I heard about that, you know, I, I was greatly grieved um, because, for one, we're already seeing in our community with the young black men uh, high rates of HIV, well, and, and women too, high rates of HIV. We're seeing um, a whole lot of emasculation. And I'm not talking necessarily homosexuality, just the emasculation of black men over in general, you know, particularly um, particularly those who are in the church. Um, and so to see that these young men were affected by his actions in one way or another grieved me greatly, but no differently than it grieves me anytime, um, including when myself have. I have done something that um, has caused some type of harm to an individual, either by in you know, uh, in, in unintentionally, and I, I hope I've never done anything intentionally to hurt anyone, uh, but definitely plenty of times unintentionally where I've I've uh, I've done some you know said some things, done some things, action um, that that brought about harm, not never physical, but. Uh, Emotional, you know, yeah, I've I've done that, and it grieved me to know that that happened to him, and I'm sure a lot of members felt that. So you had that scandal, and um, a lot of members left, and you you um, put that in the context, uh, uh, put that in in um, alongside the scandals that have been uh, <laughs> um, uh, reported on Dr. Bryant. And you see why this is a big issue. Why why is it making news? You know, uh, Dr. Bryan was an uh, avid community activist and, and socially engaged, had his church socially engaged on matters in, in that area. And it was wonderful to see him and having been able to share with, you know, share the stage with him, pull people with him, rallies with him on a number of occasions. I, I greatly admire my brother in ministry. Um, and you know, uh, I I always 
try not to defend preachers, even though I, I find myself defending preachers because I am a preacher. And I find that I, I found that when he was taken up in um, a moral scandal, you know, I, I found myself in something similar, not just um, because I, I, you know, I was divorced. I'm divorced. Um, and although I didn't have an extramarital affair, I had an emotional affair, which you could classify as extramarital um, in a sense, um, even though it was not physical. And which led to me being divorced. Uh, well, it didn't lead to it. Uh, it, was, it was one of the many factors that uh, led to divorce. Um, so, you, you know, infidelity is, is when it comes to church and the black church in particular has always kind of been one of these things that, well, a man is going to do what a man is going to do or, well, he's a man before he's a preacher argument. And um, I, I always when I hear that, um, it, it bothers me, but at the same time, it kind of, kind of eases me to, <laughs> you know, do what I was going to do anyway. You, you know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to, not trying to deflect or anything like that. But what I found is that it's easy for preachers to defend preachers, or it's easy for preachers to um, throw. Uh, no shade at other preachers, you know, because one get called and the other one doesn't. And uh, either way, it's both harrowing on the ministry, you know, those who are coming to be ministered to and those who are providing said ministry. It's a big toll on us when we have uh, our brothers and sisters who are uh, caught up in in offense. And Paul writes, and you know, you read this in Galatians, if you find a brother who's a fence, you know, go to him, take into consideration your own self, lest you be tempted. But I find in today's environment, uh, especially in the age of social media, that it's much easier to throw a stone and walk away <laughs> than to uh, hold oneself accountable as well as call for the accountability of persons who committed uh, grave immoral acts. And I, I say this because as a preacher, I especially as a single preacher, I have committed grave immoral acts. And there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, some of my members probably have been ashamed. <laughs> I'm not a big name preacher. and You know, it's not anything big. But, you know, when you're dating and you're single and um, some of the things that come along with the breakup, it, it is what it is. And um, uh but the one thing I've learned to be as transparent as I possibly can when it comes to that, it makes it easier. And uh, the other thing is to let my members know enough about my personal life, you know, what not not too much, but enough about it to where unseemingly that comes to them, you know, when it comes to gossip or uh, <laughs> whatever they what they hear, <laughs> they can they they can you know, kind of attest to the integrity of my personal life at best, as the best as they can. You know, they can't say everything, and I don't expect them to. And I, certainly, if I do something that is, um, as if I were as high profile as Dr. Bryant is, and I had done something, I would expect the same type of um, scrutiny that he was given uh, from my members. I would, I would expect a greater sense of accountability. And some are, are are saying that, you know, that um, he didn't have that at Empowerment Temple, and maybe he is leaving that um, that 
place so that he can have that greater sense of accountability and start over, you know, from a, a moral perspective. I, I don't know. That's speculation. And uh, I, I just know that from from both both of those uh both of those incidents where it involved personal immorality failure personal morality failures on the preachers that the broad impact um not just at their local congregations but the broader impact of you know black christendom in particular um is still kind of affecting them and affecting those persons uh, they were called to lead. And it doesn't matter how bad or, or grievous the uh, uh, the offense was, God still offers mercy and grace, and um, we should still be willing to offer the same. And I'm glad that New Birth thought enough of Dr. Bryant to do so, you know, I'm glad that they thought enough, the board thought enough, and and uh, the the chair of the board mentioned this in his um, response that while he made a lot of mistakes, he's willing to learn from them. He has learned from them, and he's willing to the you know move forward. And that's wonderful. That that's a wonderful thing. Uh, a lot of people don't get that opportunity. I remember as a young pastor when I was in my early twenties, and um, I had a mother of the church, you know, a member of the church. We don't really have mothers, but, you know, she was an older member of the church, and she pulled to me. She pulled me to the side and corrected me, and I did not like that correction at all. And I wanted to say, I'm your pastor. You can't tell me what to do. But she did it in love. She did it, she did it in a firm, <laughs> firm sense of love, a stern sense of love. and And it was because of that. Um, I was able to be a better pastor, and I still have a wonder. She's in her, she's in her nineties now, and she called me on Thanksgiving Day just to say Happy Thanksgiving, Pastor. Now I have not been her pastor since two thousand three or four, two thousand three or two thousand four. That was the last. Um, I think I was moved from that church in two thousand four, but she still calls me pastor. <laughs> And uh, I, you know, I, I get to, I still go and visit with her whenever I'm in Arkansas, and I'm, and I'm able to do so. And I have a wonderful relationship with her, and and it's it's wonderful because I know that she loved me enough to to make sure that you know I stayed on the right track. And I'm glad even now at this at this uh. At the current charge that I have at New Bethel, I, I have the same. I have mothers and fathers who are looking after me to make sure I stay on the right track, and it's a wonderful thing to know. Uh, it's also a wonderful thing to know that I have, you know, I have, I'm able to be accountable without fearing retaliation, you know, without fearing that somebody's going to use um, said things against me. I, I don't have that fear, and, and, and even if they do, I still don't, you know. I'm like Paul. They can talk about me. They can do this, but um, uh, I know who I am, and and I know for which purpose I am called. So it's a wonderful thing to have that reassurance. Everyone doesn't have that, and um, it 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 it's it's a good thing to have. But th- then the second thing, um, the second thing that is, um. 
the second the second um sorry sending a quick test mix text message the the second thing that is uh, a part of this storyline is Edward Long Bishop Long's son who is an elder at New Birth and who on this past Sunday as he spoke and ministered expressed his um, uh, he, he was pretty forward about him feeling like he was overlooked at uh, um, as being pastor and um, uh, Ann Brock on her page on her um, on her blog, the Old Black Church has this article, and it's entitled "Nepotism in the Church Should," um, and it asks should Bishop's long son have automatically been hired as the pastor. And um, now I'm a preacher's kid, and I I I don't like to say I followed my father in ministry. I wasn't raised with my father particularly, um, so I did not follow my father in ministry. I had a a very distinct uh, calling experience, and um, I had mentors who helped me understand that experience when I was 12 and helped shape me and mold me and train me uh, in in ministry. I did not follow my father in ministry. My father, when he began to pastor, I was pastoring already, um, and I did, you know, he founded a church, and I was able to visit and speak at his church. Uh, He had a little house church. And I was able to share that, and you know, occasionally when I'm in visiting with him, I I, I go to his church where he is uh, on the ministry staff uh, currently. Um, but I know of a lot of preachers who follow their their uh, their fathers, their parents in ministry, and particularly, I think uh, one of the biggest examples, of course, is Joel Osteen. And Joel Osteen publicly said that when his father passed away, that um, his father asked him to take over the church and that he didn't even um, he didn't believe he was called to preach. And um, and and because of that, you know, he wasn't trying to be a minister. He was content working on the ministry, uh, the media ministry. And he had never preached a sermon but had never done any type of leadership role in the church other than leading the ministry media uh, team and, you know, the broadcast and all of that stuff. And now, you know, he's one of the more prominent televangelists around the world. But, you know, he was reluctant. Um, And I can think of several others, um, prominent preachers, children, and uh, who followed them in ministry. Ivy Hilliard, and his daughters, um, Fred Price, and his son, and uh, you know, recently his son stepped down uh, for whatever um, indiscretion he had or whatever issue he had, and he's now been restored back to ministry there at uh, his father's uh, church. And, and um, I could go on and on. In, in the Amy Church, even with Jamal Bryant himself, Jamal is the son of a preacher who was a bishop in the Abbey Church, who is the son of a preacher who was also a bishop in the Abbey Church. So when he talked about, you know, three generations of AME, uh, you know, his grandfather was a bishop in the Abbey Church, and his father was a bishop and the senior bishop 
for eight years, I believe, in the AME church. And um, so, you know, he followed it. He followed his father in ministry to a degree, you know, and um, when Jamal planted, uh, I'm sorry, Dr. Bryant planted the church, you know, he was seated members also because he was at first he was at uh, uh, Mother Bethel in Baltimore under uh, now Bishop uh, Frank Madison Reed III, but then Dr. Pastor Frank Madison Reed III, who himself uh, father was a pastor and a bishop in Amy Church, and his grandfather was a pastor and bishop in the Amy Church. Uh, and uh, we also have a couple of others, you know, what we call legacies in in African Methodism. Who's, you know, you know, I <laughs> every time I I hear someone that's talk about their fourth and fifth generation AMEs, and I'm like, man, I, yeah, y'all good. Uh, but it, you know, in the, in the AME churches, is you know, the system is different, so you don't necessarily because your your past your dad was a bishop um, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a bishop, you know, by way of election, you might have that chance. And uh, Dr. Reed, uh, Bishop Reed, you know, ran on occasion. And the issue with him was, you know, your daddy and granddaddy was bishop. And I think that was going to be a concern with uh, Dr. Brian, uh, Jamal, is that his father and grandfather was bishop. And they did, <laughs> aside, from the scra- aside from the scandals, you know, personal scandals, the idea of nepotism. In the African Methodist Episcopal Church was uh, scarier than that. <laughs> they didn't want the idea of this seeming like you could be a bishop just because your daddy and granddaddy was a bishop. Because we elect our bishops, and they wanted to see, you know, they want to make sure and maintain the sanctity of the election and consecration process in, in Methodism. And so, you know, but um, I know of a lot of preachers. Several friends of mine, as a matter of fact, who have taken over the church that their parents either established or pastored, and um, sometimes they succeed and sometimes they don't. Uh, one 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 story of this is uh, Tony, who now goes by the name of Beast Slade. If you've ever followed him, I've had the opportunity to meet him, and I I, I tell you, this dude is one of the Best and greatest singers I've ever heard in my entire life, both when he was singing gospel and even now, you know, he's he's just a creative machine. I I, I would call him the prince of gospel music, you know, because his creativity is just is is pretty much is just great. And I hate uh, what happened to him. Um. In the in the mid two thousands, you know, he was at the height of his career musically in the gospel music industry. His father was pastoring a church, and he was on you know in ministry. He was doing wonderful things, transforming how gospel music was sang and performed. <laughs> you know, uh, before Ty Tibbet Ty, Ty Tribbett brought in that all that energy. You know, Tone brought in all that energy, and it was it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Uh, so when his father passed away, the mantle fell on him to take over the church. And at the time, he was struggling with, uh, you know, um, his sexuality. And he was not able to adequately articulate that to anyone. And it bore on him 
tremendously. It was a heavy burden on him wrestling with that and the new role as pastor and the expectations of holiness that accompanied that and this inward struggle of what he was experiencing. And add to that, he had gone through a divorce with his wife. And she's beautiful. She was beautiful. He had gone with a, through a divorce with his wife and received little to no support from the church. Matter of fact, most of the people in the church condemned him for, you know, for that. And as a result, you know, he like, y'all, I forget all of y'all. I'm leaving. I'm, you know, and I remember when he made that video, I, we were, I had, we were connected on social media. And, and again, I had, you know, I had the opportunity to have met him, you know, in, in brief, in brevity, never, you know, had never really a, a connection connection, you know, with more of acquaintances through acquaintances kind of thing. <laughs> you know, the six, uh, like a six degrees of separation kind of thing. But I, when he released that video and that song, um, and, you know, those of you can recall what, what it was like, you know, very, very, <laughs> it was raw. And that was his way of releasing all of the agitation that he had experienced and the burdens that he experienced um, through that process while he was, you know, what he was going through, what he was going through. And, you know, he, he, he came out of it. He, I don't know, you know, what his ministry is like per se, if even he considers himself a minister. I, I don't know. Uh, every now and then I see something he does on um, in uh, Instagram. Um, and that's about as, as far as I know uh, what he, you know what he does. But he still releases bad. Me- I mean, some of good music. But you know that is an example of where falling, you know, following the father was can be considered as a failure. You know, he was up to the task musically, but you know, he w- I don't know if he was up to the task entirely. Uh, regarding all that it was taking for him just to fill in the shoes of his own father. And um, Eddie Long, Edward Long, um, talked uh, when he when he uh, began his message, he said that he had been experiencing depression because he had been feeling overlooked and felt rejected. And he said, and you can read the article on Christian Post, uh, they they shared the article. Uh, you can go there to Christian Post and see the article. He shared that he felt so rejected and overlooked because every opportunity, the first when uh, after his father passed and um, his replacement was named, he felt overlooked. And he said that he had been in that church since he was four years old, and you know, in every capacity of the church ministry he had worked. And he felt overlooked, and he said he was reluctant uh, when his father called him and said, I need your help. And, you know, he, he said he had the aspirations for a music career of some kind, you know, in media. Uh, and he walked away from that. He said, I just trust God. And, and uh, apparently the Lord allowed him to, to serve in his father's ministry. Um, and that he applied and still felt rejected. Now, he's still serving on as an elder of the church, and I'm, I'm not sure if that's a paid, if that's a paid uh, position or not. I'm, I'm sure it is. It must be. Uh, but you know, 
there was this sense of a sense of obligation. I should be because you know I'm my daddy's son, and it should come to me because my daddy made the church what it is. And if you want anything close to my daddy, that would be me. And that wasn't the case. I I think about <laughs> it's funny. I when I when I, I as I was uh, reading the story, I was thinking about. The, the television show Greenleaf that comes on the OWN network. I don't know if you watched that. I've only watched uh, the first season in its entirety. I, I have not watched the second season or the current season. I've seen episodes, but I have not watched them in its entirety. I may just, you know, do a binge watch on that one day when I ain't got nothing to do. Absolutely nothing to do. So that might be during the Christmas holidays. I'm just going to be binge watch, binge watching and eating. <laughs> But anyway, in the first season of Greenleaf, you have the father, Bishop Greenleaf, and you have the son. And I can't think of the son's name, so forgive me. Uh, that just shows you how much I really paid attention to the show. But anyway, the son was trying so hard to come out of his father's shadow. And, you know, his father did not think him well enough or capable enough to follow suit. So when the daughter returns, he automatically or I won't say automatically, he gives greater attention and greater responsibility to the daughter that he admired who had in her younger years preached and, you know, apparently was popular as a preacher, but walked away. And in walking away, created, you know, <laughs> this void that the son tried to fill and that the son was unable to fill which led to the son leaving the ministry and the son in an attempt to find himself and to make a name for himself leaves the ministry only to discover that he was being manipulated by the <laughs> the ministry that he was going to. He was being manipulated against uh, to act against his father. And the father was like, well, big deal, you know. It, it is what it is. <laughs> and, you know, he was down for the fight. And if the son had to go in, uh, go down because of the fight, then so be it. Now that was hard, but I, I'm quite sure there are, there are a lot of preachers who probably feel that way about their children entering in ministry. Um, and and again, even though my father is in ministry, uh, we don't have that issue. <laughs> we do not have that that issue at all. And that's a good thing. But, you know, I didn't intend to talk about this that long. <laughs> I really didn't. I just, again, like I said, I'm, I'm I'm playing backup. You know, I'm playing catch up, rather, to all of this that's happening over, happened over the, uh, the few weeks that I've been unable to uh, broadcast or make a broadcast. I, you might say I was a little bit lazy post-Thanksgiving and pre-Thanksgiving. <laughs> Uh, but after I, you know, once I finished that doctorate and got all that, man, it was just hard. It was hard. It was hard for me to write, <laughs> write the sermon. It was hard. I mean, I'm, when I tell you that thing, that process, dissertation process took a lot out of me. Man, it took a lot out of me. And I, I give kudos to those who are in that process now. You are in my thoughts and prayers. Uh, those who are aspiring to uh, uh, the doctoral level of education. You are in my prayers, and to those of you who didn't do it and just calling yourself doctors, well, you're in my prayers too. 
let me take a quick break and uh, grab me some water or something, and um, I will come back and give you my reflections on Advent and uh, how I've been, how I'm approaching it um, uh, this year. I believe the Lord is always good, and I just, um, I've been fortunate, and I just wanted to share some of that. So I'm going to take this quick break, and I'll be back. almost everything, so we know how to cover almost anything, even mermuts. And we covered it, February 3rd, 2016. Talk to farmers. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. At Farmers, we've seen almost everything, so we know how to cover almost anything, even mermuts. And we covered it, February 3rd, 2016. Talk to farmers. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. that don't follow the liturgical calendar year so they don't follow the, most of the Christian observances um, aside from Pentecost uh, what is called White Sunday or Whit Sunday in some churches um, most most don't follow the, the calendar year they observe Easter Resurrection Sunday they observe Christmas on Mass of the Christ um, 
and that's pretty much all that they they follow. But in you know in our faith reformation and Methodism and uh, Anglicanism and the Episcopal Church, Roman Catholic Church, um, we follow the liturgical calendar, and uh, the season of Advent is uh, aside from the season of Easter. It's probably the most um, uh, one of the most celebrated times of the year. Uh, Advent, anticipating the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, um, is um, one uh, like Lent, although not as long as the Lenten season. Like Lent is for me a season of reflection. I, I I like to use the season of Advent to reflect on God's grace as much as I do during the season of Lent, um, largely because, you know, for the most part of general church history, it was not really, uh, you know, celebrated. Not too many. The early church fathers didn't, uh, didn't bother about celebrating the birth of Christ. Um, and as the time passed, you know, by the 4th and 5th century, as more uh, Christians begin to observe it with other, you know, some would say pagan holidays, but um, with other uh, winter events, you know, instances and uh, celebrations, they integrated that into what we now observe as Christmas and Advent. And uh, largely for the four Sundays of Advent leading up to um, December 25th, you have um, Hope, you have peace, joy, and love. Those are primary uh, themes of the Advent season. Hope being the anticipation, um, peace being the revelation, love, um, joy, you know, uh, again, all anticipatory uh, moments leading up to that day in uh, old holy night, <laughs> the stars were brightly shining. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But um, I, I am in this particular Advent season. I'm seeing it from a perspective of justice, and um, I don't like to be labeled as a social justice warrior. I don't believe I'm a social justice warrior. I'm not really a community activist. But I am all about justice and um, fighting injustice. Um, that is just as about as subjective now in America uh, <laughs> because uh, – or more partisan now because there are, some, there are some things that are just should not be partisan, you know, uh, some issues of justice that should just be, you know, when it comes to the issues of life, particularly, you know, life in the womb. And the life, the lives of others, that is something that shouldn't be contested as uh, when it regards to justice. So while we fight for those who are alive, you know, regarding um, domestic violence and gun violence prevention and all of those other things, you know, opioid addiction. And we fight for the lives of those who uh, for those who are alive now so that they can have a fuller life now until they transition to be with the ancestors, we should do the same when regards in, in regards to those who have not yet been born. And I, you know, it's not about where you stand on abortion. You should still see life and 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 you know, 
be concerned about how that life is affected by injustice. You know, and some will determine what that injustice is. But one thing I can't say is <laughs> that we should be concerned about that life. Life is all, you know, life life overall. Um, and the other thing is when it comes to issues, uh, you know, the other social issues, you know, um, how we interact with lo- with others. Um, the summary of the Decalogue says that we ought to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and love our neighbors as ourselves. And when it comes to issues of justice, on that, the Advent is is representational. The Advent season is representational of why we should have that. Um, on Sunday, we spoke. Uh, we preached on uh, hope for all in sin in that uh, in the writings of uh, Paul in Romans chapter 3 and uh, chapter 1, 2, and 3 in particular and how he underscores the fact that there was a law, there was the law that was provided for the Jews to help them understand what righteousness should look like, what justification should look like if they were able to keep the laws. But of course, they couldn't keep all of the laws. You know, it wasn't. You know, they couldn't keep all the law, and and thus, because they could not keep all of the law, there was a need for them for someone who could fulfill the law, and all uh, that it was uh, uh, within that context of the law. And Paul said the one underlying factor between the Jews and the Gentiles is that we're all sinners. You know. And the entirety of our condition of humanity, those of you who ascribe to uh, the the uh, doctrine of original sin, you know, there are some who don't ascribe to that, but that, that's fine. Uh, um, the idea that men, mankind, humankind was, was birthed with the condition of sin, and there's nothing around that you can do about it. You know, there's nothing you can do about it. In that context, uh, God gives us a hope for both redemption and justification from the penalty of our sins through the work of Jesus of Nazareth on the cross. And that work would not have been done had he not been born in Bethlehem out of the line of David uh, through the line of Abraham, and which makes us heirs to the promise of Abraham, as Paul Letty writes in chapter 5 of Romans. Um, and from from that perspective, it you know it's it's empowering to know that the, the Lord of the universe, God of the universe, is as concerned about our condition of sin, even before we were born, that He would Himself, who knew no sin, become sin for us. That that in and of itself is amazing to me and wonderfully loving. And when we come when we talk about a, the idea of peace. And and yes, uh, he said peace, goodwill towards peace on earth, goodwill towards men. In in this in this day and time right now, I would love to see uh, humankind individual peace. I'm, when I when I speak in peace, I'm speaking at the micro and not the macro. Uh, I think we speak too overwhelming of the mic the macro the larger. 
And because we want to see peace on earth, goodwill toward men, we focus on that. But we, we forget about the macro, micro level of peace, the micro at the individual, the self. If a person does not have peace within themselves, they cannot in turn uh, spread peace to the broader world around them. And unfortunately, I think we have a whole lot of uh, unpeaceful folk in our churches, in our homes. They are they are uh, bound by this underwhelming sense of uneasiness and anxiety and, and all kinds of disarray emotionally that keeps them without having this sense of inward peace. And the scripture does say that he will give you, he will keep you in perfect peace if you keep your mind on him. And yes, individuals, we need to focus on, and as preachers, we need to empower people to 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 get that sense of inward peace. Now, this is where, you know, many in the Western church miss it. You know, you know, in the Western church, particularly, you know, we got caught up on, and particularly in evangelical and American Christianity, evangelicalism, uh, we were we we brought in stuff from the world, and that just heightened the anxiety of who we were and who we are as humans, and because because we <laughs> you know we we were taught to chase stuff, and being taught to chase stuff, or people, or ideas, whatever it may be, that we don't connect with inwardly with the Lord. And I go to uh, you know I've been to a Orthodox Church, Greek Orthodox Church, and the the overwhelming sense of inward peace that is that is presented there. You know, the rituals, all of that is centered on seeing the Christ as He is and and engaging Him in a manner that is transformational. And we miss that. We we miss that in our church, particularly in the Black church, when we want to shout, 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 and you know. You ain't had church unless you shouted, and then you go home still broken. Even if somebody prayed for you, laid hands, or you fell on the floor, you rolled on the floor, and you foamed at the mouth, or whatever you did, and you still go home feeling the sense of brokenness. That is when the micro peace, that sense of peace that passes all understanding, is when you should need start begin to engage that. And same thing with the idea of joy and love, you know, uh, joy unspeakable and a love that is transcendent and unconditional, not just the agape, the agape love that we are to experience with the Lord, that we get from the Lord through this act of salvation, the salvific act that he did through Jesus Christ, but uh, the uh, uh, fellow, the, the uh, Philo love, the brotherly love that we should have one for another. And I think this at the micro level, again, is more empowering than at the macro level. Now, we are commanded to love one another, but we also are encouraged, as Paul writes, to allow the love of God to be shed abroad from our hearts. The only way we can allow that to happen is we are engaging him who is love. We say God is love, and that encompasses a lot. It's not just a love where he pats you on the back and says everything's going to be all right. It's also the kind of love where he says you did wrong, and you deserve to be penalized for the wrong that you did, and I will correct you, 
and help you see and feel what it how it hurt me, how it grieved me, and you know, in turn that should cause you a sense of repentance. Paul writes, you know, I didn't I didn't want to um didn't want to write to you to make you feel bad, but if it makes you feel bad towards forbid for you know towards repentance, then that's all right with me. And that's the way God is. You know, God doesn't convict us of sin just to make us feel bad, but He convicts us of sin to help Him see, help us see how much He loves us and wants us to repent and be in right standing with Him. And we, in turn, must be the same way towards our brother and our sister. You know, how can two walk together except they, you know, be in agreement? And if they're not agreeing in love, then, you know, there is dissonance. And that dissonance creates a greater barrier to the work of the Christ. Uh, what God did through Christ uh, was to be reconciling. And God himself is reconciling us daily, you know, as all people who come to him. He is reconciling. And we should show that reconciliation to our brothers and sisters, even if they are not a part of our faith, and that's that's the radical, that's the radical thing. You know, we have to show reconciliating love to even those we don't agree with, who don't agree with us, and even those who are not on our faith. And there are some say, well, you should just cut them off. Cutting them off is not going to do anything. It's just going to prove that you you think that you're better. And Paul again in Romans chapter three says, are we any better than they? No. Not by any means we are any better. Whether we are circumcised or not, we are not any better than anyone else. Anyway, I got I got to get out of here. I uh, I believe that as we put the time in to reflect on the reason Christ, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ was born, the way he was born, uh, then we will have a more fulfilling. A day of observing that and a more fulfilling life from observing that. And as preachers, when we put that emphasis on those things, you know, again, at the micro instead of the macro, I think uh, we'll be better engaged with ourselves and better engaged with those we are called to serve and, you know, have a more rewarding and fruitful life in what we do. Uh, I I I've run out of time. I rambled too much on the uh other thing. I wanna uh I want you uh if you like what I do and you enjoying the show, I want you to go over to uh Patreon, become a patron. Um as for as little as a dollar a month. Uh simply go to patreon uh, dot com slash Lorenzo T Neal and you'll see what you're able to do. You can help support this show and I'm I'm grateful for whatever you do. However you support, and if you do support you great, there's some great benefits that you will get. So uh, please do so. Like uh, the show page, subscribe to, uh, follow us on on Twitter, follow us on on Facebook, follow us on all our social media, and we greatly appreciate all that you do to help us do what we do, and we're grateful for all. Uh, so while we get out of here, we want to thank you and pray that you have a wonderful, wonderful day and we will be getting out of here as soon as I can find what I need to find (laughs) so other than that you guys have a great day and we will catch you on the flip side next time God bless you God keep you
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.